As mentioned, we're here to celebrate these wonderful candidates in their baptism service today, and hopefully they're encouraged in growing in their walk with the Lord today. Uh, my sermon title is Come, Let's Walk With God. As ever, my gratitude to our senior leader, Colin Dyan, uh, and all of the team here for the opportunities that we have to minister and to preach. And there is a great challenge and call before each one of us to begin to rise to the call of God on our lives, to begin to respond to who He is speaking us to be, who He's calling us to be by the power of His Word. And I want to encourage you wherever you are today, that today would be a day of challenge, a day when you commit in your heart to walk with God, to go deeper with God, and to walk the path that He would lay out before you. If we could start with a word of prayer, then I'll get straight to our opening texts. Father, we ask you that you'd be here with us. We thank you that you already are by the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the great invitation that you have issued to each one of us, Jesus, to come and to follow you, to become disciples. These baptism candidates are becoming disciples in a, in a fresh way today. But Lord, all of us have been called to walk with you, to imitate you, to come to know you through the very expression of our lifestyle. Lord, today, help us to bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to read two passages for us as our opening texts. The first is very much a vision or purpose text, and the second is the operation text, or how we go about doing uh, the work of God in our lives. The first text is from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus speaking, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This text speaks of the metaphor of the life that we are seeking to build. If we were to picture your life as a house, what kind of a house are you building? And more significantly and substantially, what kind of a foundation is that house built on? And in our second text, the operative text, or how we go about doing this, Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? We could ask one question, how are you building? That's effectively the same as asking a second question, how are you walking? Because in the walking, we are building the life that God intends for us to live. And I want to encourage and exhort you from the very beginning that we all make a decision to come together and to walk with God. Something incredibly powerful about the principle of walking. 
Right throughout Scripture, we find stories of great men and women of God who, as the Scripture says, walked with God. Now, each one of them is a great example. One on the one side of faith and the incredible opportunities that we have to see God move in and through the earth and have great testimonies of His uh, provision, His healing, His salvation, the miracles that He works out. But also, every single one of these men also have the times when they walk with God and experience failure and yet find God still walking alongside them. You could think of Enoch. Enoch is one of those greats in Genesis 5:24. He walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. Imagine walking with God so closely that God would rather have you in heaven than here on the earth. Noah, uh, a, a man of great significance in Israelites' history, a man who walked with God, a man who, because of his walk with God, his righteousness with God, position the salvation of humanity. Abraham, 75 years old. Imagine by the time you've got to 75, you're thinking, I've established my life. I'm comfortable. I've got my house or my tent, whichever he was living in. I'm living in this wonderful, beautiful city. Uh, you know, we've got the places of worship and we've got all the riches. We're one of the richest cities of old. He's all established. And then God comes along and says, Abraham, I want you to take a little walk. I want you to take a little journey with me. And he's saying, but, but God, I've nearly paid off my mortgage. You're not really going to make me move on. And yet he gets called to this promised land and he receives a promise from God. I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That happened when he was on his walk. You think of Moses, who was a walker. He'd spent 40 years living in luxury, raised in the prince's palace in Egypt, and then due to a controversy of when he killed uh, an Egyptian who was beating up one of his fellow people, the Israelites, he was cast out into the desert, to the wilderness, spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness until he had a walk of substance and significance where he was one day looking at a bush, that was burning yet not burning. Our team mentioned that just last week. That was a, a holy moment. It was usual for trees to spontaneously combust in this dry and arid heat. It was unusual for them to stay burning. And Moses, in his walk, took a few steps towards this burning bush, and he was commanded, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And out of that walk, he then walked the people of Israel right out of Egypt. You think of Joshua. Joshua, who spent uh, many, many days out of the tent of meeting, many, many days waiting on the presence of God. Moses would come to hear from God and then go back to instruct the people. Joshua would stay in the tent of meeting in the presence of God. And then there came the time where Joshua was, was to take a walk. And what did God say to him? He said, Everywhere you put your feet, Joshua, everywhere where you stand, I'm going to give you that land. These are all Old Testament examples. We could easily turn to look at some of the New Testament examples. The most significant, substantially, of course, is Jesus. What was his invitation? Come and follow me. Or say it a different way, come and walk with me. 
Come and get to know my ways. Come and get to see what the kingdom of God invading earth looks like. Come and get to see what happens when miracles break out, when people start to get healed, when blind eyes are opening and deaf ears are opening and cancers are disappearing. Come and look what it looks like, see what it looks like when the kingdom of God begins to break in. It was Jesus that called on Peter to come for a little walk, a walk on water, a supernatural, impossible miracle of standing on a substance that none of us can stand on. I don't know if you've ever tried to run into the sea to see if you might just happen to walk on water. But sometimes the reality is that though we might say, haha, no one can walk on water today, sometimes there's those moments when you're walking with God and you literally don't know what is holding you up. If you were to look at your feet, if you were to look all around you, if you were to look at the situation, you'd say, for all that this situation adds up to be, I shouldn't be standing, let alone walking, and yet somehow God is carrying me through. And all of us are called to imitate those disciples of the first century of the church, to be a people that walk with Jesus, to be a people that walk in intimacy with Him and come to know Him. It's a journey of walks which take us places. I don't know if you've ever heard of this incredible story of a young man who went walking around London on a bus, off a bus, walking here, walking there, walked past a door, saw a famous name on the door, went, knocked on the door and said, is this this famous man's house, the one I've heard of in Bible school? And they said, yes, and he's welcomed in. He receives prayer 30 minutes on his knees, gets up, walks out and then walks right across Africa, seeing hundreds of thousands and millions of people saved. The man who was walking, Reinhard Bonnke, the man whose house he walked by, George Jeffries, the founder of this church. What would it look like for us to make a decision to walk with the Lord? All of us, in a way, as Kensington Temple are, walking together with the vision of the house. We're walking together in where God is leading our senior minister, Colin Dye. We're joining with him on this journey of saying, we want to become a disciple-making church. We want to be a people that show others what it's like to walk with Jesus. I think of men like R.T. Kendall, uh, a, a blessing to have him here in the house of God. And do you know how he walks? You know, he walks very slow because he's 83. But he walks with great authority and power. Why? Because he's walked for many years with Jesus. You know, it's scary when RT looks at you and he says, I've been praying every day for you for the last five years. You know he means it because he's been walking the walk and talking the talk in his relationship with the Lord. And we're all called to, in this journey, invite people into those kinds of encounters and experiences with God that we have ourselves experienced on our journey with the Lord. And I want to ask you today, how is your walk? Not from a place of condemnation, but hoping to encourage you, hoping to encourage you to embrace the walk with Jesus that you, uh, that you have so far conducted yourself in, but also to leave behind that which can ensnare you in your pursuit of Him, in your walk with Him. There is great power in walking with God. Now, obviously there is the health issue of walking. We all need to walk, especially in London, sedentary lifestyle, tube stops every 200 meters, whatever it is, 
we could easily get around London without ever seriously walking. So we need it for the fitness point of view. But we also need it from the spiritual point of view, a healthy walk with God. And so I want to spend just a few moments bringing together the idea of building and of walking. These two expressive actions, these two active spiritualities, so to speak. This first struck me when I was wrestling with the Lord in, in a season of prayer or struggling with prayer. I was struggling with prayer, particularly in the area of praying at home. I don't know uh, how many of you this will affect, but you sit down at home and it gets quite difficult to pray because kids are running around or screaming or wanting to be fed and all of that kind of stuff, or you're thinking about all the stuff you need to do before you get to the office, or you're thinking about all of the uh, other things that you've been promising yourself you would do if you caught a few spare moments, and it gets so distracting to try pray significantly in the home. And I was walking around with God, and I was, I was saying to myself, you know, Lord, this isn't working for me. I'm not enjoying this prayer, uh, particularly because one of the challenges is, as I'll say, sit down on the sofa to pray and seek God would be that I would start to be thinking about all of the things that are going on in, in life around and the things that are coming up and the things that are ahead. And I would find that I was too much in my head thinking about the future, thinking about what was to come, thinking about God in you know, a year's time, it'd be lovely to buy a house, or in two years' time, it'd be great to go and visit the family in New Zealand, or five years' time, it'd be great to be doing a doctorate, whatever it might be, and all of these future, future, future things, thinking about what was to come, and should I do it this way, Lord, and should I do it that way, and what if this happens, or what if that happens? All of this internal processing you know, I was getting frustrated because I don't want to sit there and just keep thinking through all of these patterns of thought over and over again. I wanted to be out there doing something for God. Um, and so I began to say to God, you know what, Lord, I'm challenged. I don't want to accept this kind of praying. It's not satisfying me anymore. Um, I want to have a prayer life that focuses on you and have a prayer life that focuses on doing what you want me to do. And so this is where Matthew 7 came into sharp focus because one day I was out walking uh, my son Luke to nursery, um, just dropped him off and I turned around and I was walking back home and I was still expressing this frustration in my heart to God and saying, God, I want more. And he immediately spoke to me asking about this. When do you walk and pray? Yes, there is the prayer life that you have at home, the quiet time when you sit down and, and focus on, on just being at peace with the Lord. You're struggling in that area. Maybe just for a season, focus on walking and praying to get that passion back for seeing God do stuff. And I was like, suddenly like excited. It was almost in that moment that the whole heart behind this message came to be. And I loved embracing that call to walk with God. Because you might say, Gabriel, you know what? And I've probably said this to you. You need to just work on your discipline. You need to work on clearing your uh, issues out of your head. You need to focus on sitting down with God and just being at peace. And if there's any distractions, you need to take those thoughts captive. Yeah, there's, there's perhaps an issue of discipline there. But the other side of it, the walking with God bit, the reason I loved it is because I love doing stuff. I'm a guy. I love being active. I love being active with my faith. And suddenly, the moments of walking around, just that journey from the nursery back to my house, suddenly became a walk of faith. The walking from the house to the tube, 
or from the tube to the church, or sitting on the tube. Suddenly, all of those moments became opportunities for faith to happen, for substance to happen in my life. And I began to say, God, you know what? I want to embrace that kind of walking with you. And so I had to go back and ask myself some questions. I had to ask myself, what kind of a house was I trying to build? That was the daily activity of my life. But I also had to say, what kind of a foundation am I building that house on? And that's where I had to say, this is the daily relationship that I have with God. Actually, I want God to break out of just being at home in the quiet time that we spend with God. I want God to be in every single moment of life. You know that quiet time is a bit of a misnomer. People would struggle, I'm sure, with quiet time if they were loud people, but quiet time, what is quiet time? Where we sit quietly and read, but did you know that the Bible's written to be read out loud? It's not meant to be read quietly, sitting down, just as if it were a book. It's meant to be heard. It's meant to capture our imaginations. Did you know that we're supposed to talk to God out loud? Maybe you're worried about praying out loud because of your neighbors or because someone might say you have a special friend. You know, talking to God <laughs> is one of the greatest privileges we have. Let's talk vocally, verbally to Him. But it's breaking out of that home environment and saying, you know what, I'm going to get audible about my prayer and my spirituality and my time in the Bible at home, but I'm also going to be praying as I walk. So I want to say this to you, in your daily building disciplines, your daily prayer, your daily Bible reading, your daily worship, these are all good things. These are things that I've referenced, for example, with RT. These are things that are necessary. But I also want to ask you to lift your perspective because what can happen if we only do those things is we can make our relationship about what we're saying to Jesus about tomorrow instead of asking him out of relationship what he's saying to us right now. If all we do is sit at home and pray, we pray prospectively through the day or through the week or the year. But if we're talking with Christ as we're walking, we're asking him what he wants to say to us right here, right now. And so on top of all of those building disciplines, let me encourage you to add in walking obedience. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading, daily worship, and daily walking obedience. Now, I don't know if you're here today and you think of walking as the unfortunate act that we have to carry out between where we are to where we want to get to. You know, some people in London think of walking as a mild inconvenience. If they could just save that 10 minutes and miraculously appear somewhere, then they would have been more efficient. Um, and in those steps that they have to take, they're a thousand feet above or ahead of where they are right now physically, thinking about what is to come. And in that small walk home from nursery to get the car to go to the office, the Lord began to say to me, you know what? You need to stop rushing your walk. You need to stop rushing your walk. Now, London is famous for some amazing walks. Let me just talk to you a little bit about the bus walk. You ever know that walk that you, you, you're walking to get the bus? And you're walking in a direction where you can see either the bus coming from behind you or see the bus coming ahead of you or coming across you and you're aware of where the bus is. And so you're just walking normally and then you start to look at your watch 
and you start to worry about the time. And I love watching some people when it comes to this type of walk. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've not. Have you, any, any of you ever seen this walk? When, you know, sorry ladies, it's, I'm not wearing high heels, but if you're wearing high heels, it would be that walk where you're trying to run, but then you realize you can't run because you're wearing high heels and so you have to walk. Well, there's another kind of walk. This happened to me earlier. A guy comes walking past me and he goes, I just need to get off the phone because I'm trying to get the train, um, and so I just need to, to hurry up and get the train. So he starts going. <laughs> so, to somehow try to speed himself up. Or there's another kind of walk where you can just be walking along and you're just so stressed that you don't care who's there, and people might be all around you, you're just bouncing. They're bouncing off you, they're bouncing off you because they're trying to get to the bus. And all of those are inefficient ways of walking. You know what I love about the one where there, there are those wonderful moments when it's, is you can be walking next to them, not change your pace, you still get to the bus at exactly the same time. They're all inefficient ways of walking. The Lord told me, you know, you need to slow down with your walk. You've got to start rushing around everywhere. If that means that you've got too much in your schedule, you've got to start uh, taking dominion over your life effectively. If we don't have time to walk, then we're effectively saying we don't have control over the life that we are living. But the moment you start to slow down, you start to see those incredible opportunities open out in front of you. There's one time when I was now walking normally and slowly and enjoying praying with God, and I saw a guy ahead of me who was walking with a limp. Now, if I had been walking at pace, if I'd been doing one of those funny hop, skip, and jumps trying to get home quicker to get to work, I wouldn't have seen that guy. Neither would I have stopped to talk to him. Neither would I have stopped to pray for him. I don't know what happened with him, but I do know, because I was walking slower, I had an opportunity to pray with a guy who had a limp. I do know that when you take those opportunities to walk more slowly around, you start to see things that other people don't see. I was at a friend's birthday party. They went to, they'd taken us to this market in Borough Market, Mercato, Metropolitano, something like that. Nice place, cool place. But I was just walking around, and there was another lady who came out with this big knee limp, and she was like this. And I was just walking, and I went over to her, and I was like, you know, this is really weird, but I'm a Christian. I believe that God could heal you. Can I pray for you? And she was so taken aback. She was like, yeah, um, okay. I've had this for quite a long time because I injured my knee as a child. Can you, you know, sure, pray for me. So I prayed for her and then carried on. I still, I wish I'd take, found a way to get hold of her and see how she was. But my friend said, how did you even see her? I was like, I was walking. I was walking with my eyes open. I wasn't rushing. I wasn't trying to get somewhere real quick. I was taking time to walk with God. Colin was saying earlier when he was preaching at the 9-11 that as he was preaching, he was praying. As he was walking about on this platform, he was communing with God. And I was thinking, how's he doing that? Because he's preaching, but at the same time, he's walking with the Lord. And this is the thing. When we start to walk with God, it begins to infuse every one of the moments that we have with meaning. The places you walk are what link who you are at home in the secret place to every other area of your life. And when you start to walk with God and start to focus on what he's trying to do in the moment, you eliminate the could-have-beens 
in exchange for the what is. If you went running past someone who needed prayer, that could have been. If you walked past someone and stopped to pray with them, that's what is. If you are running somewhere too busy to stop and say hi to someone or share a, a smile or an encouragement with someone, that's a could have been. But what would a what is look like? What would it look like for us to lean into the Holy Spirit and to trust Him for what He wants to do in and through our lives as we walk with Him? I want to bring us back then to this Micah passage, the passage that I read uh, right at the very beginning. And I want to unpack from here three uh, dysfunctional behaviors with regard to our walks. And then I want to unpack three walks of destiny that we can embrace with our lives. And in this context, I want to invite you, come and walk with the Lord. Let me read again for you Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah's challenging some assumptions here. The first is this, the idea of coming to give our burnt offerings. First, dysfunctional belief. God isn't impressed when we spend time with him. God isn't impressed when we come to give to him. God doesn't sit there in heaven saying, wow, thank you. Thank you for your gift. Let me tell you why he's not impressed with it. Because it's what, it's, what is appropriate it's what is appropriate in our response to God. If you hang out with your friend, do you sit there with your friend and say, yeah, you don't seem very grateful. You know, I've, I've given you a whole half hour here. Uh, why aren't you at least thanking me? Or maybe you could kiss my feet just, just to express your gratitude because I am deigning to hang out. Why would God ever appreciate that from us? Why would he appreciate us giving him what he deserves? Second dysfunctional belief in our walk is that you can give to God and live how you want. He says, uh, shall I give him a thousand rams uh, or 10,000 rivers of oil? God isn't impressed with big giving, big, loud, substantial acts if you're not willing to change your heart. If you simply say, I've given you that God, so I'm gonna carry on living as I want. I've served you on a Sunday, so Monday to Saturday, I'm gonna be cheating and wheeling. I'm gonna be able to do whatever I can to get ahead in this life. He's not impressed. Neither is God impressed when we don't own our own responsibilities. There's quite a challenging verse here. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You know, people very often do this. I've seen this so many times, especially ministering to guys. Guys will be living, walking with God, all serious, 
all of a sudden something will happen, whether it's a job, a new lady friend, there may be move uh, shifts, maybe they change friendship groups, whatever it might be, something changes. And sin comes in. They make a mistake somewhere along the line, whether uh, they get into a committed relationship with someone that they know that they shouldn't be in a relationship with and yet they want to and they don't want to bring it to talk with anyone in the church or even discuss it in relationship with God. And so what they say at that point in time is, God, I was walking with you, but now if you could just go, I was about to go this way, there'd been an error. God, if you could just go that way because I'm just going to walk off on my own for just a little bit and when I've got things sorted out on my own, then I'm going to come back. Then I'm going to come back to the house of God. Then I'm going to come back to uh, restore relationship with you. Then, you know, when everything's a testimony again, then I'm going to come back to you. And yet the problem is that often the thing that they're walking off with on their own is something that they can't and won't take responsibility for. Now, the challenge of this text, this is the text speaking not me speaking. Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What that's saying is if I make a mistake, should I put it on someone else? You could think of abortion in this context. You could think of where you run away from your responsibilities to family in this context. You could think about when you put your needs for success in the workplace over and above the needs of your family in this context. Anything where you sacrifice someone else because of your own sin, God's not impressed by. It's challenging. I want to look then at three walks of destiny. Three walks of destiny that we can embrace, that we'll see lives change around us. The first is a walk of justice. A walk of justice. I've just given you an image of somebody trying to walk off on their own and asking God to go a different way. And yet, if only we knew that God were walking with us through failure, whether we want Him there or not, how different would our approach be? If you were to be walking with God and you have just committed a sin or made a massive mess that you don't know how to deal with, what can you say? God, you're the creator of all things. God, you are my Father who is in heaven. God, will you show me how to walk through this situation with you? As impossible as it seems. Just talked about babies and the issue of abortion. I know the challenges, all of the ministers at the moment actually know these challenges of brand new babies and sleepless nights. Of course, it's massive. It's massive. But we need to walk through those situations with God. What would it look like to walk through with Him? What would it look like if you had made a big mess for you to be the bringer of righteousness into that situation. I'm walking with the Lord so I know how to apologize. I'm walking with the Lord so I know how to come and make reparation. I'm walking with the Lord because, and I know how to come and make peace. The beginning of justice is when you start to own your responsibilities. 
The second walk of destiny is the walk of loving kindness. Sorry, I should have read this verse for you again. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The loving kindness response to God. It's slowing down to see the beauty of creation all around us. It's slowing down to see particularly the creation of each individual around you. Making room for their significance, making room for them to thrive, making room for them to be connected with God, to see salvation, to experience miracles, to see healing. As you walk in kindness and in love and grace, what would it look like for you to take a moment just to be kind to somebody? It only takes a second longer than it does to be hateful to somebody. But imagine the transformation it can bring. So we walk with God through failure to a place of success. We walk in a way that makes room for others and we walk with God through times of success. When you see lives change, when you see the fruit of your life making a difference, what does he say? Let's walk humbly with the Lord. The place of humility is the place where you position yourself to keep seeing favor upon your life. One of the big challenges of humanity is the moment we see success, we think it's about us, we start claiming, I did this, I did that, it's amazing, aren't I anointed, aren't I appointed, aren't I the most gifted? And yet the Lord says, keep walking humbly. Keep walking humbly. If you won't make this about you, if you'll be like the donkey, who knows what will keep happening through your life? Why do we do this? Why do we walk? Because the goal is not about the wins or the things we experience on the way. The goal is intimacy. The goal is that we would walk with the Lord in such a way that Christ is the one who's walking in us. But I want to end this sermon today before just sharing a few thoughts in ministry with this. As I've been talking all afternoon about us walking with God, but there's this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. As much as we should aspire to walk with him, the greater truth is that God has decided to walk with us the creator of heaven and of earth, has become our God, has become our Father, and has decided to walk with us. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you have experienced abandonment. Maybe your earthly father didn't want to walk with you. The heavenly Father wants to walk with you. Come, walk with the Lord. How's your walk? Are you walking with him? Are you getting out of just your head and all of that internal mess and all of the negative thoughts and emotions and the wrestling with self-esteem issues, the wrestling with anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and turning to look at what is God saying to you now? What is God doing in your life right now? How is God gonna walk with you to see this person change, that person change? What would it look like for us to carry the presence of God everywhere that he's called us to be. How's your walk? You might say, Gabriel, I've just never thought about it. I like my secular holy divide. I like my home prayer time. I don't like my spiritual secularity. 
God calls us to be a people that carry his presence everywhere we go. Maybe you felt that it's impossible for you to walk. I've just got a few verses for you out of Acts 3. And just with this prayer, I believe that God is going to ignite some of your passion and your heart to walk with him. There was a man sitting by a gate called Beautiful, asking for alms. He'd been there every day of his life, unable to walk. And Peter and John approach him. They look him in the eye. And they say to them, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we give to you. And Peter takes him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Maybe something has stopped you from walking with God. Maybe an incredible disappointment has just caused you to sit down and say, I can walk with you no longer. Maybe there's been something so offensive that a Christian has done to you that you said, you know what, God, I'm not going to walk with you anymore. I'm just going to come and sit in the service because I feel I have to, but I'm not going to journey with brothers and sisters in faith. They always let me down. Maybe you feel that sin weighing on your shoulders is too heavy for you to be able to walk. Let's just bow our heads, lift our hands. Jesus, today, where everyone is, Lord, I ask that in the same way that Peter and John went and took them by the hand and pulled them up, and in that moment of pulling him up, he received strength and life to his feet. Lord, I pray for your people here today, that you would draw near that you would take them by the hand and that you would lift them up. And Lord, that they would start to walk and run and shout and celebrate and praise with their life as they walk with you. Lord, that they would walk to the temple, that they would walk to the homes, that they would walk into the workplace and that they would walk through their communities. And every place that they walk, they would carry your presence. And every place that they walk, they would see your glory. And every place that they walk, they would be able to claim it for you and for your kingdom. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would arise and stir up a man, a men and women of faith, men and women who would do great exploits, that they would walk around this community and see people saved, that they would walk around the workplaces and see people come to Christ, that they would go into hospitals walking and they would come out walking with crowds of people healed. Lord Jesus, we pray that as they start to walk the walk and talk the talk, as they start to take you out of their own personal private devotion times into the public place, that they would see radical transformation happening all around them. And ultimately, Lord, birth in the hearts of your people, that when they see Hebrews 12 and the extended version written in heaven, it would be said of them, they walked with God. It would be said of you that you walked with God, that you walked with God and brought transformation 
You walked with God, brought hope, but most of all, you walked with God and enjoyed your relationship with the Lord here on the earth.